First, uh, before we start a Bible study today, would you pull out your, your keep this, you probably were just looking at this because it's had all the announcements on it. Hey, by the way, do you like having a physical form of the announcements? Yeah. Yes? Yeah. You all hate trees. Okay. All right. We can always grow more. That's right. Okay, well, on the back of our announcements, we have a very special, we're going to spend a few minutes today talking about something really special, uh, which is kind of our vision, our plan. I don't know, I, I don't like those words, but uh, you, if you've been here for a while, you're going to see that this seems very familiar to you, because this is everything that's been in my heart for the past five years and put on paper so that I can communicate to you. So this, all this is, is a tool for me to communicate my heart to you guys and for us to have a directed um, uh, ener- to direct our energies in, in the same direction. Okay, so that's what, when churches have a generic vision, like what's a, what's a vision you guys hear from churches sometimes? You, walk, you go to a church for a little bit and what's their vision? Missions, what? Build a building. What? Worship, study, surrender. That was, that was ours. Okay, don't look down there. Shh, shh. What else? Love God, love others. You ever heard that one? Huh? Win, disciple, send. We got all these uh, generic visions. And so, and so you ask people, well, what do you guys do at your church? And, well, we love God and love others. Well, how do you do that? We... Love God and love others. Well, when do you do it? Well, when we love God. How do you measure how you're successful? Oh, well, when we love God and when we love others. Having a generic vision is very difficult for everybody to get on board because there's just all this confusion about what, what are we, what has God called us to do? And I'm a really unique person. I don't know if you know that or not, but I'm a weirdo. Just kidding. I, I am unique in the way that God has made me, in the way that, that uh, he has put something in my, Do you guys know what God has put in my heart? What's the big thing that God's put in my heart? Grace. Grace. Hey, so we've, we've done all right. Okay. So as, as by working hard, get out. Just kidding. Get thee behind me. Just kidding. Right. You guys know that grace has had, that's what God's made me, okay? That, that's what he, it's his gift to me. He gave me this, this heart and this mind that only works one way. I, 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 I understand grace and I want to teach it and I want to help everyone else understand grace and I'm learning to live in it myself and I want everyone else to join me in living in grace. So that brings us to this, okay? If you could, if you could put one word around all this, it's just grace, okay, the new covenant, but we're, we're going to kind of set it up like a picture. You know how pictures, if you have a, a picture of a nice, you know, lake or something, you have the foreground, then you have the midground, then you have, you know, the horizon, and then you have like beyond the horizon. And that's what you want to think about this, okay? Uh, our beyond the horizon is what we, what, what seems so impossible, what, what, what God has really put in my heart for us to go as a church. And that's this top part. It says, we will be a church that renews the practice of grace-empowered ministry, in weekly meetings, family life, worship, and pastoral training. We're going to be a leader of a movement of new covenant teaching rekindled among churches and believers. That is truly in my heart, and I've told many of you about it. I've, I've tried to express that. But this, I spent a lot of time, like, what am I trying to do? Like, what are we doing here? Are we just going to church every Sunday and, and sometimes on Wednesdays? And, and just, what are we doing? And that's what this is helping us understand. Where are we going? Okay, that's, that's where we're going. I mean, if you could imagine we're all on a big cruise ship. They had a flood on the other side this week, so maybe we are. You never know. So we're on a big cruise ship. If you set sail, let's say you're going from Florida, you know, down to the Bahamas or something, you get on the cruise ship, you see nothing but blue water for several days, right? So the, 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 the captain, I was going to say director, the pastor, <laughs> the captain has a, has a compass, and that compass gets him to the Bahamas or whatever. And that compass is Jesus. And what we're doing here is not that compass, okay? What we're doing here is what are we going to see over the next few days where we just see ocean while we're going towards our destination? Okay, that's the itinerary, the, the kind of brochure of activities that are available on this cruise ship. You could say that, okay? So our, 
if we could imagine seven years away, that's what I, I would like our church to just be right there. That's, that's what God is in my heart. We're using our imagination here. Okay? This isn't like, if we're not there, we're probably going to be totally on the other side of the earth or something. I don't know. But I don't care. This is what God has put in my heart. And so I wanted to share it with you guys. So for that to happen, we're going to constantly be asking ourselves, what are, what are we doing? And is what we're doing getting us towards our goal, getting us towards our vision or our you know, destination? And so we have three years away. These are some things I would like for us to see in three years at this church. I'd like to see uh, something I called overflowing grace, which is just uh, ministries that overflow to our community. Now, some churches, that's their whole thing. That's their seven-year thing. We're going to be a church that eliminates poverty in Denver, right? But that's not our goal. That's just an overflowing thing for us, okay? Um, so you can see some of the things there. May, that might make you kind of excited. So that may be part of the vision that you, you see yourself maybe serving in this box in three years. You know, that's, that's very valid. I want to know what kind, which parts of this you're really excited about. Because God has brought you here. He's plugged you in so that you can be used in, in one or more of these areas. The second one says streams of grace, and this is like our discipleship uh, uh, ministry. We're, you know, we're going to have mar- marriage and parenting. Uh, we're going to have someone in charge and leading those ministries, you know, helping people with their careers and, and jobs and youth groups and children's ministry. All those are all the ways that we are discipling each other uh, in the Lord. we got... A really exciting one, the next one is Songs of Grace, which is something I would really like for us to be, which is a church that writes our own worship music. Uh, woo! You excited about that? I'm really excited about that. Have you guys ever been to a church that writes their own worship music? Yeah, but the Lord says he puts a new song in our heart, so why should we not do that? I want to be, like, if we're going to be a leader in helping people understand grace, why not do it in every media that you can, one of them being worship. So if you like to write poems or you like to write stories, or you like to be involved in video or audio or music. You don't, it doesn't, you don't have to be you know, Raquel with the great voice and the great skill. And, and um, you, you can be involved in this ministry. If this is where your heart is, we want to know, and we want to get you plugged in to the way that you can serve. Got it? Got it. All right. The, the other thing is the School of Grace. This would be a ministry school teaching young pastors how to, how to uh, do ministry with grace or or anyone, not just pastors, but anyone who wants to be in ministry. That's, a, that's what that is. So in order for that to happen, we got a one-year thing that, that we were, we're going to uh, talk about a minute. In, a, in one year, I would like to host an event that is for tired, burnt-out, broken people. You're asking me, what does that have to do with our, our seven-year? Well, in order for us to renew and refresh this theological idea of grace, we have to find people that are tired and need refreshing. And so this is part of what we're going to be doing is we're going to host an event for believers uh, who are weary and, and just have been known God maybe for a long time, but they, they have kind of gotten sidetracked, kind of gotten tired, or even full-on backslidden, and I don't know. But their heart is to know the Lord and serve the Lord, but they've been doing it out of self-efforts, and that is what we are going to target. We're going to go to war, and maybe on one night, maybe a couple nights, I'm not sure, but we're going to, um, we're going to wage war on self-sourced ministry. Does that sound cool? You guys down? All right. So in one year, we're, we want to do that, and that's going to be a, 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 something that we're going to talk about a lot over the next year. We're going to prepare. We're going to invest. We're going to... Uh, really target that as something in a year that's very important to us. I put a number on there, 100 people. I, that may go up to 5,000. That may go down to two. Who knows? And maybe you're like, I'm that person. <laughs> Great. You're the person that our church is called to minister to. That is, and I, if you don't hear anything else I say, I want you to hear this. When you say, I go to White Flag, or I know a church called White Flag, and I think they're weird, but I want you to know what we're all about. We are all about ministering to people who are tired of self-sufficiency and are ready to give it all up for Jesus, ready to, ready to receive his power, his grace in their life, all right? That is the 
the big thing we're going to, we've always focused on, but now I have a piece of paper that I can say, didn't you read the piece of paper? <laughs> All right. Okay, so we're get, we're, now we're getting towards the, the real foreground of the, of the picture that we see, and what we're seeing is in 90 days, I, we're going to be targeting a few things. And all these things, I'm giving this to you because I value and I covet your prayer, and I want you guys to partner. And if you see things on here, I can get involved in that. I want you to pray about that and surrender to the Lord in that. Get involved with his uh, calling with us. In, in 90 days, we want all our leaders to be discipling one person. Okay, If we're going to be a church in a, in a year that is ready to take on a bunch of people that are tired and weary and just done with church, guess what? We better be ready ourselves. And so we're going to really be investing in discipleship even more than we ever have. And I want our leaders to be, and leaders, you know who you are. Basically, if you're celebrating Father's Day as a father, you should be a leader. <laughs> you're someone that's been here, starting to understand it. Maybe I've discipled you. Maybe you've you, we want everyone to be taking the next step and be discipling someone. We were, were praying and looking for our children's leader and youth leaders to be raised up. Why not in 90 days? Let's go. You know, we need someone, maybe someone in this room, maybe someone that's downstairs already, but we want the Lord to identify someone that is being raised up, right? So that's something to pray about. Maybe it's you. Maybe, man, hmm. If, why do we need that? Because if we get a bunch of people that are tired and weary and they have children, we need to be prepared to love them and to care for them. Does that make sense? All right. Next one is we are praying in the next 90 days for our worship leader to be raised up. And just to get us on the road of doing what we're doing, we want to write a song that we all learn together and we all know. Okay? And you guys all know that, that Raquel has been kind of being raised up for that. So, you know, we're all praying for you, Raquel. We hope you don't fall into sin or something terrible. That would be crazy. <laughs> no pressure. No, but it's, 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 I can't lead worship for the rest of my life. Number one, I don't know how to sing, so I kill my voice. I thrash it, and I'm just lame. And number two, I only listen to like three albums, and you guys know every song on our, on our Ren Collective albums. So, <laughs> hey, that was me. That was at me, not with me. <laughs> I'm just having fun with you guys. I love leading worship, and I'm, I'm sure some I'll be part of it, but, um, but the Lord's brought us Raquel, and she's like a gift from God, and, and uh, she's shown herself to be really faithful, and, you know, us elders, we've, we've all talked about it. We're all, yeah, Jesus is doing that. It's no big deal. You know, we're, we're ready. So just encourage Raquel. And Isaac, it's your job to make sure she's loved and all of this falls on you, bro. So God's grace is sufficient, he says. That's see? You've been discipled, bro. I love that. Okay. And next thing, next thing, this might this pretty much involves every single one of you, and I really want all of you to get involved with this. Uh, Matt, Matt's our guy over here, he he's a big part of our media ministry. Jacob's back there doing media ministry too. We love you guys. They're the, the nerds in the back, we'll just say. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> we have nerds in the front, and we have nerds in the back. We have nerds everywhere. Geeks everywhere. Okay. We're going to be preparing video testimonies of how God's grace has transformed us. So what we want is for you as a family or as an individual to, Matt is going to sit you down, and we, we're going to get lighting probably. Yeah, okay. We're going to get lighting and we're going to do interviews after church or before church or you guys can schedule it. And, uh, and Matt's going to ask you questions and we're going to record it. We're going to edit it all together. And these are going to be the promo videos for our event. So we want you guys to talk about how we used to live life by our own efforts, but now God's grace is transforming us. We're trusting in the Lord. Maybe it's for you, it's more about how I came to know the Lord and, 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 and what I, crazy person I was before I knew the Lord and, and how different God's grace has changed me. Maybe it's when I knew the Lord, I was a total idiot doing it by my own strength and, and now I, I'm, not, I'm trusting in the Lord and, and, uh, and he's strengthening me. So those video testimonies I am so excited about. There's many ways we could use them. We're going to compile a big 
amounts of them. We want everyone in the church to be really in, engaged in doing this. So when you guys are ready, you're going to go talk to Matt. Wave again, Matt, because we love you. And you're going to get something on the calendar with him. I'd love to have five or 10 or 20 of these done in the next 90 days. And, uh, and so what do you guys think? You ready? Does it, does it help you understand like, what our direction is and what, what we're going through and where we're going? All right. So now we're on the, the cruise ship. Let's have some fun. All right. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, yes. So let's pray, and we'll open our Bibles up to Exodus chapter 23. Um, today's Bible study is called Fighting Wars with Grace, or How to Fight with Grace, How to Win Some Battles with the Beatitudes. No, just kidding. All right, so let's pray. Father, we want to come before your presence and clothed in the blood of Jesus, just wrapped up like a blanket in in him. And Lord, we do that by faith. We believe that his blood is available and offered to us, and we just take it and believe its sufficiency. And God, I pray for every single thing we just talked about, um, Lord, that your spirit would direct us. And and if if we're totally off, and if I just have not heard from you, Lord, I want to be corrected. I want everyone in the church to come and say, Sean, that is not right. But But Lord, if this is from you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us. I pray that this would not feel like work. I pray that for whoever is called by you to to lead our children's ministry, Father, that, that they would feel empowered and not like it's a burden or a job, but that it's a joy. Same for our youth ministry. Same for worship. Same for every single ministry we have here. I pray that the food bank this week, with Perry leading it this week, I pray Perry would be filled with compassion and your Holy Spirit, and you would provide all that he needs. Thank you for Perry and Jody leading that ministry. God, we want nothing to be done of self. We want everything to be done from your Spirit. And for us to do that, we have to renounce all dependency on self. And Lord, I pray that would be the heart of our church. I pray that would be the invitation of our church. All who are weary and tired of doing it, come to Christ and be refreshed. He will give you rest. So we pray for that. We pray for those things. And Jesus, we also ask that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit a really important lesson today about how to fight our wars with grace. Amen. Amen. This is our sixth week in Exodus chapter 23. I'm it is our last. We are going to end Exodus 23 this week. Um, and uh, the, this chapter has ended with three different promises God gives his people. Remember, God's rescued his people. He brought them out of Egypt. And now he's about to say, go do everything by yourself. Go fight all your wars. No, that is not what he's going to say. But that's what happens with most of us in our Christian life. We are delivered from Egypt. We're delivered from our sin. We know we're forgiven. We've come to know Jesus. And then we feel like, all right, now I'm ready for battle and I got to fight all these battles. And the only resource we really know that we have is ourselves. You know what? I got to try harder to now be a a sober person to stop drinking. Or I got to try harder to be a nice person because I'm mean. Or I got to try harder... For just fill in the blank of whatever vice is our issue. We have all these battles, but Jesus says here, I promise to fight your battle. Actually, God promises the children of Israel that Jesus will fight their battles for them. He will fight your battles for you. That is the big lesson of today. You need to stop fighting your own battles. I need to surrender the idea that I need to find victory for myself. I need to win victory for myself. It is not my battle anymore. Let's get into our text. Verse 27. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you. 
which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. Remember, where is God sending his people? America? No, where is he sending them? The promised land, right? He's sending them into promise. And, and this was God's will for his people was to go into the promised land. How many times has he said, I'm sending you into the promised land. I'm going to bring you into the promised land. Many, many. This is undeniably God's will. Was God's will for them to wander around in the desert for 40 years? Although that's what they're going to do. That was not his will. Okay, same as in our lives. God's will is not for you to be wandering in the desert of your Christian life, never fruitful, never satisfied, never happy. I'm a Christian and it's lame. I'm a Christian and I have no victory. That is not God's will for you. God's will is 100% victory and for you to live in the promised land. It's part of this redemption story. He's writing through the lives of the people of Israel. When he delivered them from Egypt, what did they do to help him? When the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt, what did they do to help God out? How, what was that? Are you sure? Are you positive? You, you are. What if I'm tricking you right now? Well, they complained. There you go. That's something they added to the, to the equation, right? They complained. They doubted. But God still rescued them. You're, you're absolutely right. I just want you to be confident that you're right. They did nothing to be delivered. So how much do you think they're going to have to do to enter into this promised land? Nothing. Nothing is the answer. You'll see what I mean as we go through this. Exactly how they left Egypt is the same way they're supposed to enter the promised land with God fighting for them. God fighting for them. He fights their wars. He wins their battles. This is one of the most important and misunderstood things in all of Christianity today. How do I enter the promised land? Which is that land of spiritual victory and, and consistent living with, in God's blessing. I'm not talking about being rich. I'm talking about peace and joy and all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Are you joyful? Do you have peace? Great, you're in the promised land. Are you joyful? No. Do you have peace? No. You're not in the promised land yet. Well, God hasn't brought me there. No, 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 no. It's your fault. It is. We're not gonna. We're not gonna lie. We're not gonna sugarcoat things. It's our fault if we're not in the promised land. God's will is for us to be in the promised land, and His will gets done, unless we oppose it, unless we doubt it, unless. Well, we'll see. All this is coming. Actually, we're going to see today that you can only enter the promised land if you don't fight for it. You can only enter the promised land if you don't fight for it. You don't make plans. You don't lean on your own understanding. And you don't depend on your own strength, your own tenacity or your own discipline, or your own willpower. That is the only way to enter the promised land. We have to renounce all those things. I have no plan. How are you going to become a better Christian? How are you going to do God's will? I don't have a plan. I have a Jesus. That's it. Amen. There you go. I'm getting pumped up here. God here promises through this angel who we've already studied is Jesus. He promises to conquer and to subdue all their enemies for them. Now let's see how he promises. He says with supernatural power. He says uh, this is an invisible power changing realities that you see and experience. It's not things you can see. In other words, it's not efforts. It's not how strong you are that gets you into the promised land. It's not trying. It's not even learning. Faith is evidence of things not okay. So if we're going to enter the promised land by faith, then it literally cannot be something you see. 
He says a few things. He says, I will send my fear before you. That's a supernatural thing, making people afraid. He will cause confusion. That's a supernatural thing as well. He will make all their enemies turn their backs to you. That's supernatural. His power at work. Wouldn't it be nice if we had these things? Wouldn't it be nice if everywhere we went, people were like, ooh, our enemies anyway. I guess that wouldn't, for our friends, we don't want them to be afraid of us. But he's talking to enemies, right? People who are against you. Or if our sins, when we walked in the door, our sins were like, ah, turn away. That's what God says he accomplishes. Then he says, I'll send hornets. I'll send hornets before you. He's like a supernatural ant-man controlling the hornets. And what does Israel do to make these things happen? The answer is nothing. What is required of them? God is making a promise to them, and he does not give any requirements. He says, nothing. I'm going to do this. Your job is to rest in me. Follow me closely. If you get too far away, the hornets are going to get you. Stay close to me. Stay near to me. Abide. Watch. And we actually see the fulfillment of this whole hornets thing. It's pretty cool. In Joshua chapter 24, God says, uh, I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, cities you did not build, and you dwell in them, and you eat vineyards and olives groves which you did not plant. What did they do? Nothing. You are the... 50 Jesus points for you. I just randomly... Just so you... If you're new, Jesus points mean nothing. They're totally made up. We're not earning... Whatever. They did nothing. And God is very clear that that's the point of the hornets. Every time you see a hornet, you should be reminded, or a bee, or whatever you're scared of that stings, I do nothing for my spiritual victory. God will do it for me. So there's a cool thing you can hang on to, put in your back pocket, and every time you see a hornet, or you're stung by a hornet, you can remember the promises of God. They did nothing. He says, you did not do this with your sword and your bow which in our life is how hard you try, how much you read the Bible, how hard you prayed, how much you decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. They do nothing of the sort. He says, that did not give you victory. It wasn't by the sword or the bow. I drove out these two kings and I sent hornets. And you did not labor, work hard, right? Labor. You did not build. You did not plant. And you know what? I've heard church visions that say, what are we going to do? Labor. How are we going to do it? We're going to build. What are we going to do? Plant. All self-sourced. There are those church visions. There are that idea circulating in the church. This is about what we're doing for God. Our church is completely the opposite. We're going to flip it around and say, we are a church that's about what God did for us. Because that's the ever-loving gospel. That is it. Not what you do for God, but what God does for you. But what do you ask yourself every time you leave church? What am I going to do for God today? We are so quick to forget the gospel. The power of God for salvation for us is a gift. We do nothing. We do nothing. They did receive victory. They did. That's one thing they did. Because how does this whole thing with us and God's word work? He is a father and we are a child and the father gives to the child. Happy Father's Day. There's your biblical allusion to fathers, okay? Fathers give, children receive. You don't see fathers going to their kids saying, give me everything I need to live. No. No. They provide, and that's just the way that we see it set up. We, Jesus says we have to be converted and become like little children, where we understand everything is given freely 
by our Father. That's how these victories and these battles are fought. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're gonna, I want you to turn there and see what it says. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Our Father gives and we receive. But what does the Father give? You could say in a lot of ways, but we understand it to be this invisible power that is simply the Holy Spirit. We ask him for the Holy Spirit, and he gives the Holy Spirit. That's how this works. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me to Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says that that's how this works in our life. We receive power. It's given. You don't earn the Holy Spirit. You didn't ask enough for the Holy Spirit. You did some bad things, and so you don't get the Holy Spirit because you didn't earn it. That's not it. Our Father says, just humble yourself, tell me you need it, and then ask me for it and depend me for it. But depend on me for it. That's how it's supposed to work. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. In the Old Testament, Zechariah says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Again, New Testament book of Acts told us this invisible thing God gives us is the Holy Spirit. Old Testament book of Zechariah, same thing. It's not by might. It's your battles are not fought by how strong you are, but it's by the Holy Spirit. We need this Holy Spirit. And God is really stingy when it comes to the Holy Spirit, isn't he? Oh, no, he's not? No, he's not. Our Father loves to give the Holy Spirit. But why does it seem like this process never seems to happen at the times and in the way that we expect or want it to? I want, I, I prayed, and it didn't work. Why won't God fix everything in my life right now? I know even if you guys didn't say that, you thought it. Because I, every time I pray, okay, is it done? Did you do it right now? Why didn't he do it? And then we have to ask ourselves all these questions. Am I in sin? Do I, am I not go, know God's will? Do I... You know, we ask all these things and then Satan just jumps on us right after we finish praying saying, you aren't good enough for this. You didn't earn it. You're going to lose it. God's not going to be faithful and just give it to you because you're a dork. He says other words too. I prayed and it didn't work. Why won't God fix everything in my life right now? I'd like my calling to become a reality today, please. How many of you guys feel like God's really called you to do something in your life? One person. You guys are awesome. I'd like it to become a reality now. Why do I have to wait, God? We desire the promised land, like right now. And we hear even these promises that have been made to us and they've been granted to us. They've been given to us. It's ours. It's already ours. So let's go take it. We want to go down that road. But if there's any distance between us praying and us receiving, we get filled with doubt. God says, you're going to receive it. I have given it to you. I, I don't... Um, repent when I give someone something. I love to give you things. I'm going to give it for you. But know that it can be a little road. I'm not going to make you wait forever, but I will make you wait a little bit. What is that about? Well, let's read verse 29 back in our text in Exodus. He says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. This is crazy. This is weird. Why would God do it slowly and not just fix everything in our lives right at once when we get saved? The answer is because God is smart. 
It's his wisdom. It is his wisdom that makes this process a slow one. And this is all connected in the word of God to the word grow. Grow. If a plant grew up overnight, would you be skeptical of it? <laughs> like magic beans that disappear? Like Jim sold Dwight the legumes from... <laughs> Where were they from? I forget. Anyway, just made me think of it. Things that grow, grow slowly. That's just the way of the world. That's the way God... God invented all these plants so that you would understand how your life works spiritually. You plant it, you water it, and it grows slowly. So when we're fighting wars with grace, we have to understand this truth. We have to go slowly. God is not concerned about how quickly you conquer all of your enemies. He's not. We are. Lord, the longer I have these problems in my life, the longer I struggle with them, I'm sure the more disappointed you're with me you're going to be, the more distant I'm going to be from you. I just, you don't accept me when I have all these problems. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says you're accepted now. You don't need to do anything or change anything. I have clothed you with the righteousness of Jesus. And so... I would like to take you on a process of getting to know me. Let's go on some dates. Let's get to know each other. And this is why the moment you get saved, he doesn't clear everything out. He doesn't change everything in your heart and life so that you can learn to daily come to him and ask him and depend on him. And he will answer daily, moment by moment, moment by moment. And then you're going to look back and you'll be like, hey, progress has been made. I'm not an idiot anymore, all the time, just most of the time. And then another year goes by. Now it's just a lot of the time. And then another year goes by. Now I actually do the right thing sometimes. And God is completely okay with that. What parent would take their little child and their child just steps, they, takes their first steps. Didn't Remy just take like three steps? Oh. <laughs> anyway, she just took some steps, and she fell. And I heard Jeremy say, what are you doing? I already, you can walk. Why are you not walking good? Because Jeremy's a jerk. And that's, well, for moving, number one. But for, <laughs> just kidding. I love you. Because fathers don't expect their children to do it all right. And God is our father, and he is okay with our struggles. What he's not okay with is when we say, I'm out of here at three years old, and they, we leave his house. He wants the family. He wants the abiding. He wants the relationship. And he's willing to walk through us and cause the growth and equip the growth, but he doesn't want us to leave him. We're learning to depend why does he do it this way, this slow way? Because he's teaching us to depend on him, on supernatural grace that he described above. He wants us to learn to depend that he is going to fight the battles. This is a gift for us. It's not a bummer. It's a gift. If he destroyed all the enemies at once, why would we need to depend on him or trust in him or stay in his house? There'd be no enemies. We'd go wherever we want, but God values us and spending time with us. So he says, I'm going to let you keep having those lustful thoughts for a while. I'm not going to take that away, but I'm going to keep it there so that you're constantly reminded, I need my father. I'm going to come to him and let him fight this battle. Well, I did that yesterday. God's like, so do it again today. Isn't this fun? I fight your battles. You just watch me. Isn't that cool? Well, I don't think you're going to do it. Well, you're a dork. He teaches. God leaves the enemies of our flesh in our minds and emotions once we get saved. But why? We've already been granted total victory. But he leaves these enemies so that 
we can learn to continue to depend and to trust in him in practical ways every day. See, when you trust in God to get saved, it's a very out there thing. Oh, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and it's invisible, and then, so what? What happens now? I just asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. What happens? And it's invisible, and it's, it's a spiritual reality. But he wants us to see that that spiritual reality is a real reality by the practical things that we go through each day. The practical ways we learn to say, okay, you said you would save me if I prayed a prayer and and said, Lord, forgive me, and I put my trust in you. But I don't know if that's true or not, but let's let's test, okay? I am a jerk, and I'm going to ask you, Father, to change my heart today so that I'm not a jerk to this person. And so you come to him, and he transforms your heart, and he gives you grace, and he fights that battle. Now you have more confidence in this big, invisible thing. Now you have more confidence in every area of your life. That's why these are in your life still. That's why we still have the flesh, so that we can learn that he is faithful. You have those wicked thoughts because God wants you to remember how much you need him. And remember how faithful he is. Find out and learn how faithful he is. Satan lies. And he tells you that you have wicked thoughts because that's who you really are. But that is not true according to the gospel. You are a child of God. And he says he's transferred Jesus' desires into your heart. So all you really want now is what God wants. But the enemy comes to you and says, no, you really want that. Does not feel good. But you have a war going on inside you with the things you used to want and the things you want now, but God allows these thoughts and these feelings to remain so that we stay in a place of trusting him actively. God doesn't care that you asked him to forgive you at one point in your life. I mean, yeah, it's a big deal, I guess, but he really is desiring children that will live with him day by day. Children that will trust him that will come to him with their needs and have an active relationship with him. How many of you are friends with your kindergarten best friend? That's really sweet of you guys. You're all awesome. Zeke, yeah, I know Zion. That's cool. Yeah, not many of us because when there's not a daily interaction, people drift apart, right? So God places in our lives a daily motivation to have a daily connection and interaction with our Father, He never wants us to leave. He wants us to stay near to Him. Would you guys turn to Romans chapter 7? We're going to eat this up real quick. Romans 7, verse 23 through 25. Paul knows exactly what we're talking about. How these wars and these battles are to be fought with grace. And he says here, but I see... Another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul recognized the battle. He says, I know Jesus and Jesus has put his desires in my heart and I want to do what's right. I want to honor my father all the time, except all the times I don't. So what is that? But when I don't, I still have this heart that does, but I have this other stuff that doesn't, and I feel like it's a war inside. Anyone identify with that? All the time, right? We do this all the time. So he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives the answer. The answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's the sentence. It has an exclamation point in my Bible. That's the answer. Who will deliver me? Jesus will deliver me. He is the answer. The reason why I have this war is so that I go to Jesus day by day. And really it's more often than day by day. It's moment by moment. Christ, you are my life. You are my only solution. You are my only plan. You, when we look at this thing, and, and when I showed you this thing, and we're, we're talking about all these things, this is not the how. 
This is not the how. The how is we fix our eyes on Christ and do whatever we want. The how is we abide in Christ, draw near to him, empowered by him, and then we do what God puts on our heart. And that's what God puts on my heart. That's why I'm so confident in sharing it with you guys. Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This is not a bad thing. This is the wisdom of God. This allows us to depend on Jesus, which then enables us to thank Jesus for fighting our battles for us, for bringing us the victory without efforts, through faith alone. The gospel won our victory. Jesus made us new. Jesus caused us now to grow in trusting him. So Jesus gets all the glory as opposed to a Christian life that I asked Jesus to save me and then I did really good for Jesus and I figured out a plan and I figured out solutions and I got changed all my friends and I changed my life and I did this and I did that and look at my sacrifices and who gets the glory? Me. Paul said that's the whole problem and that's why grace is the only way to fight. God does not want us fighting our battles, period. Now, back in our text in Exodus, look at how it all ends. He says, verse 31, when you have these spiritual battles and Jesus fights you, he says, I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. That's describing all the land of the promised land. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, there's a promise, and you shall drive them out before you. Wow. So we just spend verse after verse and minute after minute, and it's going on hours after hours, studying all that God would do for us. And now he says, now what's your part? Just step in and drive them out. Just step in and drive them out. This means we never fight. There is battles. I, did, I never said there's not battles. But we never fight for victory. We fight from victory. We just drive them out. Like you drive out spiders from your house. Like you drive out a mouse. You just, go away. Right? You don't have to beat them in battle. No one's ever had a battle with a spider. They just go away. And if they don't, they get smushed. Our battles are like spiders. Satanic. (laughs) I hate spiders. Amen. Amen. That's what I get an amen for? Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Jesus gets all the glory. We never fight for the victory. We fight from the victory. And then we see that he wins the fight first through his supernatural power, putting his fear and turning them away through the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes before us. And then we just walk into the battle by faith. And it looks like we're awesome, but we're really just walking in faith. So someone comes in, your friend comes up to you and says, I, I am lame. I suck. I, I don't know how to treat my spouse. I have this big battle in my life because I'm awful. Okay, they've recognized a battle in their life. So we as their friend, we say, okay, let's get to work. No, 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 stop. Stop that. Stop doing that. Tell me about the story and I'll tell you all my wisdom of how to fix your problems. Please don't do that. The battle is won. Okay, so we take that brother or sister in, in, in our arms and we say, that's a battle. Jesus has already won it. So we're going to pray that we can trust him, that he's already won it, and we're going to step forward in faith to do his will. What is the will of God with you and your spouse? To love them, right? To, to forgive them. It's not difficult. These are like the little kids downstairs know the answer to that. What are we supposed to do to each other? Love. So we're going to pray 
that we can believe that Jesus has won this battle in my heart, because my heart's the problem, not my spouse, they're always going to be dumb. My heart's the problem. My heart's the problem. So we're going we're gonna to understand the battle is not in the circumstance. It's in my heart. Am I going to do God's will? Am I going to love and forgive and be patient? So we're going to take that, brother and sister. Hey, Jesus won this battle in your heart. So let's pray that we can walk in faith. Let's thank God that he is our victory. Jesus, this is a difficult situation. There's a battle raging in our heart. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Please send your power into my life so that I can do the right thing, so that I can love. Amen. And you step forward. That, that brother and sister now is, is directed towards Jesus. They're empowered by Christ. And now their spouse can act like a goober all day long. But they have a supernatural ability to love and to do God's will. And you played a part in them understanding that battle. Didn't that feel good? You're all so good at that. Good job. It looks like we won that battle. It looks like we're awesome. But all we did is walk by faith. Colossians 1.29. We're going to see this, this couple verses. It says, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. Normal, normal Christians have no clue what that verse means. Okay, I got to labor and strive. Wait, what's the second part of that verse? According to his working, which works in me, his power, his grace. Again, we fight. We understand that he won the battle first, and then we can step forward in labor, in striving, but it's empowered by him. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. God's part is the winning. God's part is the fighting. Our part is stepping forward in faith into that victory, believing that he won it. And so that invisible reality now becomes our physical reality. Why do you love? Why do you care for? Why do you forgive? You're not getting anything out of that, the world says. And we say, I'm, God won this for me and I can, I can love, I can forgive. I'm empowered to do those things because his life is lived in me. I have faith and that faith has become real. It's become the evidence of things not seen. David didn't trust that a stone could kill Goliath. Or he didn't even really trust that a stone was even a good idea. He just believed that the God had already won the battle. He could have thrown a cotton ball. He could have thrown flowers. But he was good at throwing stones. So he's like, this is how God made me. Whoop-hoo. Done. In 1 Samuel 14, 6, Then Jonathan said to the young man who wore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Jonathan wasn't even super confident. And he's just like, maybe God will fight for us. Maybe God loves us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Well, you don't understand how big my troubles are. I have to put down some work before I ask God for help. God says, I don't need you. I don't need a lot of you. But I will deliver because I love you. No matter how weak you are, no matter how strong you are, I will deliver you. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says, my grace, God told me my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Everyone, Old Testament, New Testament, they're all understanding that God fights the battles, not us. And actually, I need to stop fighting, period. And just be like, I'm a dork. I'm weak. And God will say, thank you. Now I can help you. Bring me your cotton balls. We'll go to battle. You'll win. Just push the spiders away. 
All right, verse 32, back in Exodus. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. You shall not dwell in their, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Here's one thing about fighting wars with grace. You have to choose a side, uh, his side, and you have to choose to do things his way. One of our greatest temptations is to compromise and say, I'm going to trust in God's grace mostly, but I'm going to leave a couple idols in my backpack in case I need them. God hates our idols. And one of them is fear. And our idols are abomination to God. He will not accept them in his his family. He says, I I know you would like to hold on to this fear. You would like to hold on to this control. But child, you can't. I am going to demand that you let go of every confidence except me. We can't say to our idols, hmm, I think you're swell. I like having you around. I like having the possibility that maybe we could have some fun sometime." But he says here, nope, just kick them out of the land. Don't have any of these idols. The problem is we don't like to live that way. We like to compromise. We, we don't even set ourselves against most of our enemies because we don't truly see anything wrong with them and we don't really want victory over them. We neglect choosing sides. Why do we allow fear to live in our lives when God has given us victory over it And we could see that victory if we just trusted in the word that tells us he gives victory. And this works for any idol. I've chosen fear, but you could say lust or anger or hatred or fornication or drunkenness or power and control or whatever, all the bad stuff that's not pure, that's not part of God's kingdom. God warns us that if we don't stand in faith against these enemies, they're going to be a snare to us and they're going to cause us to sin. We don't want that. All that we're saying is that there's consequences for not growing in grace. You will sin. You will not be able, equipped to drive out any of these enemies on your own in your own effort. But, Romans 6.13, the last thing we say is if you do not present, or it says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That means don't stand before them, like, like allow them to live. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. That's the gospel. You're alive from the dead. It's not really who you are. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God, that's how we enter the promised land. We say, I'm alive, and now here's my members that you can use to do your will, and that's to go into the promised land. For sin shall not have dominion over you, For you are not under the law, but under grace. This means you are truly free. Sin can't dominate you when you're under grace. How many of you have ever felt like, don't raise your hands, but sin was just dominating you? I can't get out from under this. I can't stop doing it. And he says here, the way out of that is so simple. Believe the gospel and then present yourself before the gospel saying, I'm yours. Believing it is the gospel. Submitting to the way God works by grace is the only way to freedom. Not trying in your own efforts to keep some standard and all the expectations of the law. It's so different from law. It's free. It's different. It's no trying in self-efforts. It's just receiving in humble faith. It's no price to pay. It's already paid by Jesus on the cross. It's no works. It's just receiving grace. We got to repent, guys, of our self-sourced fights to do even the right thing. Stop fighting. Stop trying to be the great Christian. Instead, just believe that Jesus has already done it for you. He's already made you a great Christian because you're a child of God. And what is higher on the totem pole than that? Nothing. You're heir to the kingdom. God's grace is the way to victory in every single battle. We just turn to him and trust his power and his victory, and it's already promised. Same works for drug addiction. It's Jesus. That's the answer. Same for anger. 
You're discouraged in your parenting or your marriage. You need forgiveness. You're, you're having depression, fear. There's sexual sin in your life. The answer to every one of them is God's grace that's already been given to you. We just turn to him. He wins them all. They're enemies in the promised land, and he's already given this victory. Okay? So would you all stand with me? During our last song here, we have uh, the communion table over here. So if you believe in Christ, if you, have, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and he rose again from the dead and, and that death is sufficient for you, if you believe that, you have every right to come right up here to take a, a little cracker and to munch on it, remembering that that's like his body given for you, to take a little cup and drink it, remembering that his life was poured into you. Everything we just talked about, if you believe, come and take communion. If you're still struggling and you don't yet believe, and you're, you're just you know, having a normal time with that, that's not weird, it's not strange. Learning to trust in something new is, is um, bizarre world for us. Like it's hard to learn to trust something new. So if you're not ready yet, then just pray and ask God to help you believe. And that's all that we got. He will help you. And then when you have that confidence, yes, I do trust in the Lord, then you come up and take communion, you pray with your neighbor, all those things are good.